today. And Genesis chapter 42 is where we're looking, and uh, for the sake of time and the length of the chapter, I'm not going to read it now. Um, obviously, we'll go through it as we normally do and, and touch on several of the verses here in this chapter. But some of you may remember time back in school, reading probably one of the uh, most famous works in all of American literature. That was the book by Nathaniel Hawthorne called The Scarlet Letter. If you don't remember, of course, or haven't read it, a woman whose husband is a captain on a ship, or at least works on a ship. Um, it has been a few years since I've been in high school, so <laughs> she is out to sea. He is out to sea, and she presumes that he is dead, is not coming back. Of course, while he is out to sea, she finds herself having a relationship with a local minister. It becomes evident, clear that she has had that relationship because nature has taken its course and she becomes pregnant. People there in town realize what she has done. Has branded her on her outfits, on her garments. A nice big scarlet letter A. Letting everyone know that she is an adulteress. Of course, there's many twists and turns to the, the story. She gets exposed and one of the ones pointing the fingers at her is the very minister who has had that relationship with her. One of the things, though, like I said, there's many plots and twists and turns in the book, but one of the things that probably gets overlooked in your high school literature class is this basic truth and underlying reality. And that is this. That sin will find you out. It's one of the things that Moses explained way back in his books that he wrote and has been true really ever since the dawn of humanity and the fall of mankind. Be sure your sin will find you out. It's easy enough, obviously, to see the sins of a woman who has an illicit relationship a little bit easier to hide it if you're the man. Of course, this minister leads to condemnation of the woman. And yet, eventually he is exposed as well. He's the father of the child. Because as I said, sin is, is always exposed. It may be open, it may be immediate where everyone can see, it may not be until the time of judgment. But we can rest assured that the things we do, the things that we attempt to cover and hide 
and think no one will ever know. Know this morning for sure that there is a God who sees and knows your life. And this, of course, is the lesson from our text today. In Genesis chapter 42, we have seen over the last few weeks or whenever, a couple weeks ago when we were back in this book, and Joseph has finally been exalted to the place of prime minister, the exalted to the second in command. All of the things that have happened in Joseph's life have, have led to this place where he is there in charge of the country of Egypt and is preparing them for a, a great famine. Meanwhile, back in Canaan, his brothers, his father has carried on life as normal. They have moved on. His father is trying to deal with the grief of losing his favorite son, his brother's putting behind this one that they so hated and envied. Yet in the background, the weight of their evil action toward Joseph is there, lying, waiting for the right moment to be exposed and to get them to face the thing that they have done. Perhaps there's something in your life this morning that if you do not confront and deal with today, you will find yourself one day, perhaps in a very inconvenient manner, coming face to face. Reality of your action. I implore you and beseech you by the mercy of God that you would realize this and deal with this sin in your life today. So we get into our chapter here. We get into our text this morning and our first point is this we we see where Jacob's sons journey journey into Egypt again as we've already said chapter 41 is the story of Jacob receiving this pardon from Pharaoh receiving the, the promotion the second in command over all the land he does exactly what he has advised Pharaoh to do told Pharaoh that you need a man who can Keep all the excess grain that is coming in a time of, of, of plenty and you need to store it up. And, and he has done that. And the seven years of famine are on the land of Egypt. And now the vaults are being opened and the people need food. Genesis 41.57 tells us all of the earth comes to Joseph to buy grain. Why? Because the famine was severe. Severe over all the earth. Of course, part of the whole earth included Jacob living in the land of Cain and his family. Genesis 41 verse 1 or 42 I should say. Verse 1, when Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you now look at one another? Behold, I have heard that there's grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy us grain there that we may live. Not die. Verse 3 tells us a ten of Joseph's brother went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Of course, you'll remember Joseph is the son of Rachel. Rachel is the one that Jacob loved Rachel is the one that when Abraham sent him out to go find a wife, he he 
saw Rachel there at the well and he fell head over heels in love with her. Enough to work 14 years for her hand in marriage. Joseph, of course, was the son of Rachel and also Benjamin is the son of Rachel. And during his birth, Rachel, of course, loses her life. It's Jacob's favoritism towards Joseph that, of course, caused this whole scenario surrounding his supposed death at the hand of his brothers. And look what he is doing with Benjamin. The fact that he fears this harm to Benjamin shows us clearly that he has failed to learn from his error with Joseph. Maybe it is because Benjamin is the youngest and According to my two older sons, the youngest also always gets special privilege. I may have thought the same thing about my youngest brother, but that's neither here nor there, I guess. And I know my sister-in-law thought that about her youngest sister, who I am married to. So <laughs> whatever it is, we, we, we see this, but I think there's something more than just a, uh, he's the youngest child, and of course he gets special privilege. Oh, this is, this is Jacob failing to understand, failing to realize the mistakes that he has made with Joseph, the favoritism that he has shown with Joseph is now being exhibited towards Benjamin. Before we go any further, we should probably think about this for a moment. Yes, it's one thing when you're there with your spouse and you guys are mad at each other and, and suddenly you, you look at each other and you're like, why are we even mad at each other? What did we even do? And you're I don't know. It's quite another when your spouse is angry with you. You sit there and say, I don't know why. And you never even bother to find out. You never even go to them and say, hey, what did I do? Is there something I need to apologize for? Not just in marriage, but any other relationship. So many times we, we find ourselves stumbling over sins over and over again. And, and we never even bother to ask ourselves the question, why am I doing this thing over and over again? Jacob has failed to learn. The favoritism he has shown towards Joseph comes back to bite him when it comes to Benjamin. There's things in your life that you find yourself dealing with sin. Maybe, maybe you need to stop for a minute and think. Why? Why is this happening? Why? You mean, you mean ten people really don't like you and don't want to hire you? Or maybe you're constantly late and you need a vacation after two days of work. Maybe maybe that's the problem. What do you think? Ten brothers go down to Egypt and look what happens when they encounter there. Verse 6, Joseph was governor over the land. He is the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers, verse 7, and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and he spoke roughly to them. Where do you... Come from, he said. He said from the land of Canaan to buy food, and Joseph recognized his brothers. They did not recognize him. Of course, you'll recall Joseph 
17 or so at the time, these 10 were all older. Recall that Joseph was clean-shaven when he came out of the prison. As opposed to these men who probably had beards and longer hair or whatever. And furthermore, it's probably safe to assume that Joseph never lost the desire to be with his family again while these guys have given up on ever seeing Joseph ever again. And so, so it's easy to imagine the scenario where Joseph would recognize these guys having this desire in his heart to be back home. His brothers would never imagine his position as second most powerful in the world. So these guys journey into Egypt, which leads, leads to our next point, and that is this. Joseph begins to, to test his brothers. Next week we'll speak more of this testing that Joseph puts towards his brothers, but suffice it to say that, that this is where where it begins, verse 9 tells us, Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them and he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We're all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your, your servants have never, ever been spies. Imagine the shock that must have been on Joseph's face. You can only imagine you're sitting there day after day. Here comes a, a family and they, I need grain, Joseph, for a family of five. I need grain for a family of, of six. I need grain for this many people. And then all of a sudden here walks in ten guys and you're like, oh, wait a second. And then you realize, wait, a, this, this is exactly what... What God had showed me all those years ago when I was 17, this is exactly what God had told me that one day I would be in a position of authority over these men. These brothers are, are coming as servants. They're coming in need. They're coming asking, I need a favor from you. I need food. Joseph holds all, all of the power here. Of course, this causes Joseph to throw out this test. You're not here for food. You're, you're here to spy. You're here to overthrow Egypt. You're here to, to see what's going on so that you can come in with your army and take the grain from us. No, we're not, sir. We're honest men. We all are the same brothers of one father. Trust us. We just need food. Verse 13 said, where are your servants? Are twelve brothers, the son of one man in the land of Canaan? And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. I find it interesting, don't you, that these guys recognize themselves as twelve brothers. Again, you'll recall, they could not wait to get rid of Joseph. In fact, some of them wanted to kill him, and it was only Reuben said, we cannot kill him. Don't do that. Sell him into slavery. Whatever you do, don't let us be the ones that have his blood on his hand. But, but here they are, standing before Joseph. There's 12 of us. There's 12 of us. That's not the way you talk when you're trying to intentionally get rid of people in your life. You think they would be glad to get rid of the daddy's boy, the favorite son, but, but here they are, realizing no, 
No, we're missing a part of our family. Joseph challenges them that they are spies. In fact, he throws them in jail. He says, you will not leave until your brothers come. But of course, no one can go and tell Benjamin there's no such thing as an iPhone or Android or Facebook or WhatsApp. So after three days, Joseph lets him out of prison and tells him he will keep one. The other nine can go and get the youngest son. And this is where we need to pay attention in our text this morning especially. Verse 21, they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother. And that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and he did not listen. This is why this distress has come upon us. Look what Reuben says to them. Reuben answered them, did I not tell you to, did I not tell you to not sin against the boy? But, but you did not listen. So here comes a reckoning for his blood. What's going on here? I mean, I know I didn't read the text to you this morning, but you can look in your Bible and there's, there's nowhere that says Joseph said, oh, I'm sorry about that brother that was killed. There's nowhere in the text where it says, uh, you know, you have to, I know you have 12, so why don't you tell me how many you have? Right? We do that to our children, don't we? How many cookies do you have? Well, I have three. No, I gave you five. Where are the other two? The way that's what Mary does to me. You see that what's going on here? They they never said anything about Joseph, and yet here they are talking among themselves. Joseph is telling them, "One of you stay here; the rest of you go home." And they start immediately, immediately pointing out it's because of what we did to Joseph. They don't realize that Joseph can speak the Hebrew language. They think he speaks the Egyptian language and, and here he is listening to these words. They're pouring out their guilt. Pouring out their wrong. I like these words of this commentary as I was reading it this week. The response begins with the adverb, surely which most English versions understand as emphatic. Or maybe better rendered, but expressing a strong contrast to their unstated assumption that they got off scot-free from their crime. In other words, when they were talking about this, they were, they were expressing this contrast, emphasizing we are guilty. We are being punished, renders the piercing language guilty. Guilty are we. They construed that their present distress was divine retribution for the disregard of Joseph. Distressed cries for mercy. Although the earlier narrative did not detail the events of his internment, here we learn he pleaded. He pleaded with them without success. 
In other words, as Joseph was being sold, you could hear him crying. You could feel the anguish in his voice. Don't sell me whatever you do. But these guys did not listen to him. And now all of a sudden, all of a sudden, this guilt is being piled on their lives. The tension in this situation, the agony of this guilt is being exposed for all to see we are in this mess in Egypt because of what we have done with our brother Joseph since we're talking about literature this morning there's a poem out there by Francis Thompson again written 150 years ago called the hound of heaven he says I fled him down the nights and down the days, I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind. In the midst of tears, I hid from him and under laughing, running laughter, a vista of hopes I sped and shot, participate, precipitated among titanic glooms of chasm fears. It goes on from these strong feet that followed, followed after. But with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy they beat. A voice be more instant than the feet. All things betray thee. Who betrayest me? In other words, again, I've cut off several of the words for time, but the point of the poem is this man tries to run, but as a bloodhound is hot on the trail of its prey, of what it is that it is pursuing, the hound of heaven is chasing. It is going, it is going at a, a slow pace, it is going at an unhurried pace, but in the right time it is prepared to capture its prey. Joseph is 17. When he enters Pharaoh's service, he is 30, according to Genesis 41. And now we see seven years of plenty followed by up to seven years of leanness. You do the math and it's adding up to over 20 years. 20 years these guys have been harboring this deep, embedded, guilt. 20 years these guys have, have tried to live. You can only imagine they went every year on that day when their father, or they told their father that Joseph was quote unquote dead. Maybe every morning they walked out and they, they saw the marker that their father had built for Joseph. They ignored it pushed it aside. And now, 20-some years later, the hound of heaven, if you would, has caught up to them. He has pursued them. And now when, when Joseph is, is testing these guys and they have no clue that it is Joseph and no clue that they are being tested, again, the words of Moses come out, your sins 
your sins will surely, surely find you out. Joseph offers a solution. They can't figure out who wants to stay. They don't want to upset their father by telling him that another son is gone. Joseph says, you know what, I'll take Simeon. The rest of you guys go home and, and look at what he does. Verse 25, he gave order, gave order to fill their bags with grain and replace every man's money in his sack and give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. They head home and one night they stop and they're attempting to feed their donkey with the grain and realize their bags are plumb full and there's money in it. Verse 28, he said to his brothers, there is money. My money has been put back. It's here in the mouth of my sack. And this, their hearts failed them. They turned trembling to one another saying, what is this God has done to us? Verse 21, they blamed themselves for the imprisonment and Joseph's harshness toward them. But now by verse 28, they're blaming God. Somehow God is against them. If only they would realize. If only you would realize this morning that if you feel like God's chastening hand is upon your life today, it is not because God hates you that God is against you, but rather because God is for you. It is the kindness of God which leads us to repentance. Writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 12 verse 5, Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary prudent of Him. Why? Because the Lord disciplines the one He loves. Chastises every son with whom He receives. Understand this very well this morning. There are troubles and trials in your life. It is not because God somehow hates you. It's because the mercy of God is attempting to reach you, to call you to Himself. He's wanting to call you. Maybe it is from something in your life that you need to deal with. Do not regard it as God's hatred. Rather, see the kindness of God. It's the kindness of Joseph that provided them the food. He knew how much they needed. He knew He wanted to bless them. And yet they're sitting there saying, somehow God hates us because of all that is happening. As man journeys to Egypt, Joseph begins to test them. Third point this morning, the sons report to Jacob. They go home and they have to fess up about what happened. It's kind of easy to realize that they're missing one of their children. Everyone notices, everyone sees, so you might as well. Might as well tell the truth. Of course, they don't tell Jacob all the truth. They kind of leave out the fact that they sat in prison for three days. Nevertheless, you begin to see a change in the lives of these brothers. 
even though you don't see it so much in Jacob. Verse 36, Jacob their father said to them, Yeah, bereave me of my children. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more. Now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. Again, you can hear the poor me in the life of Jacob, can't you? Reuben offers his firstborn, but Jacob is having none of it. Verse 38, he says, My son will not go down with you for his brother is dead and he's the only one left. If you harm would happen to him on a journey, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. Again, Jacob has not learned this lesson. This favoring of Rachel and her children is what played such a role in his life. And now he's thinking losing Benjamin is going to, to be the end of me. It's going to be the downfall of me. You can see his own sin coming back. Coming back to haunt him as well. Again, it's not that I want to this morning just dredge up everything that happened in your life. But the truth is, reality is this. We as human beings have to give an accounting for sin. If there are things we have done in our life and we do not take the time to confess and forsake our sin, we need to understand that it will be, it must be accounted for. So I finish with three points here. Dealing with our past sin, if you haven't dealt with it, first of all, you will. If you haven't dealt with the sins in your past, you will. Plain and simple. Not maybe. Not yeah, if I get around to it. No, the truth is you will Deal with the sin in your life because that is the way God is. God is holy and sin is an affront to Him and everyone that sinneth, the soul that sinneth, it will surely die. Yeah, the heroine of the scarlet letter had to deal with it in a matter of a few months as the evidence of pregnancy began to show in her body. The minister who impregnated her took a lot longer Again, you may not know about it or we may not know about it or the world may not know about it until the day of judgment. Well, one day we will stand before God and we will give an accounting. Proverbs 28, verse 13, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. He who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. You contrast this verse with Psalm 73 where Asaph looks at the sinners, looks at the wicked, and he says, Lord, I don't understand why they are doing so good. Why are they prospering? But then he says, I go to the house of God and I realize they are in a slippery situation. You may be here and you look good and everybody say, hey, brother, so good to see you this morning. Everyone may think life is going on as normal. But understand, 
on your trail, the hound of heaven is pursuing you. He's coming after you. He is going to chase you down one day. Maybe it's in your personal life. No one knows about it but you and God. Deal with it this morning. Sin that you have committed against your spouse, parent, a child, a neighbor, a brother, a sister here at church. Deal with it this morning. Confess it to the Lord. Confess it to each other. Lay it down today. Understand that there will be a day when you will give an account for the actions in your life. Let that day be today. My second point, though, this morning is this. If you have dealt with it, if you have dealt with a sin in your past, leave it. Leave it in the past. Okay, there's a difference between sin that is not dealt with and ignoring it, covering it up, hoping it goes away, but it lays there dormant. And sin that is brought to the Lord and confessed. If you have confessed your sin to God, if you have asked for His forgiveness and mercy on the authority of the Word of God, not my authority as a pastor, an ordained minister, whatever, but on the authority of the Word of God, I tell you this morning, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. And you need to walk in that forgiveness. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful. He is just. He will forgive us our sins and He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you have received that forgiveness, then walk in the forgiveness. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, Don't you know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral or idolaters or adulterers or men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were, such were, past tense, some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You are justified in, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Does that mean you may not have to face consequences? Or you may not have to do things to turn your life around? Certainly if a woman gets pregnant outside of marriage, we understand a child comes. But that child should not be something that's hung around your neck as a guilt, something that you feel guilty about the rest of your life. Walk in freedom. Raise that child in the fear and admonition of God. Understand that even in that cursing, there is a blessing of a beautiful child made in the image of God and tell him or her that there is freedom in Christ. So many of us as Christians 
find the weight of our past weighing upon our lives and and we sit there and we battle this idea that God doesn't love me because of what I did. And we bring it to God and God is like, there is no sin. I have forgiven it. And I challenge you this morning, walk in freedom and liberty today and understand that whom the Son has set free, they are free indeed. And there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. You haven't dealt with the sins of your past, you will. If you have, leave it in the past. And my final point this morning is this. Remember, it is Christ. It is Christ who has dealt with your sin. What I mean by dealing with your sin today is confessing, making restitution, Setting things if right if need be. What I don't mean is this, that you can somehow make it better on your own. You can eradicate it or make it away. Guess what? You can't. The good news is you don't have to. Christ has forgiven you. Christ has made atonement for you. Christ has taken your sin upon His shoulders and died in your place so that you can be forgiven. We do this to each other, don't we? Oh, I know I was going to give you something yesterday and I forgot, so you know what? I'll give you twice as much today. We try to, try to, try to cover things up and say, oh no, I'll do twice as good today. comes to God there's no amount Lord I know I know I failed but you know what I'll invite a hundred people to church I hope you do you might want to call me and let me know because I'm not sure how we're going to see a hundred extra people in here but we'll welcome them we'll invite them but that's not going to deal with it I'll just I'll give 20% of my income instead of 10 No, that's not going to fix it. You don't have to fix it. Christ has done it on the cross. His death and resurrection. Hebrews 9 verse 26, For then He would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world if His sacrifice was not good enough. But as it is, He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin as a sacrifice of Himself. And Hebrews 10 verse 18 tells us that when there is forgiveness of sins, there is no longer any offering. Christ has forgiven you today and set you free today. It does not mean that the road you may have to walk may not be difficult, and we're going to see that through these brothers' lives over the next week or two. As Joseph attempts to find out that there's true forgiveness taking place, I tell you on the authority of the Word of God, you can and are forgiven. Walk in that freedom today. Christ has paid the price for you. Man, this is the first Sunday of the month, and as we do around here on the first Sundays, we 
partake in communion. If you're here today and you know Christ as your Savior, you're welcome to take. You don't have to be a member of our church. We just want you as a fellow believer to take the bread, to take the wine, the juice this morning. And understand through these very small representations is the reality that in Christ we are forgiven and we have been set free. If you don't know Christ today, if you have not been forgiven of your sins, it's not that you're going to find it in a cracker and a thimble of grape juice you're going to find forgiveness through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Receive it today. Amen. Let's pray this morning. Lord, I pray that we would help or that you would help that we would realize and understand the great forgiveness we have in you. Lord, I pray that we would not sit there and let our unrepented and unconfessed sin just pile up on us over and over again. God, we would deal with them and forsake them. Lord, I pray most of all that we would walk in your forgiveness and freedom today. There is on the cross of Christ forgiveness and mercy and freedom for the soul that confesses their sin. Let us receive it today, we pray. Let us find your forgiveness, we ask in Jesus' name.